Father, we thank you for your word. We pray in the words of the psalmist, open our eyes this morning that we may see wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Well, uh, what do you delight in? What is something that has captured your heart? Uh, Well, for me as a younger man in love, uh, a young lady named Mel had captured my heart. So I, uh, you know, I do what you do when something's captured your heart. I wrote her a poem, and I've actually got an original right here. So from way back, you know, in the uh, when you type things up on the computer. Anyway, and um, so I thought I'd read you a few stanzas for it now. Okay, so here it goes. Mel, I remember when I fell in love with you. Even if you can't remember falling in love with me, I knew you were someone I had to pursue, and I really wanted to take you out and have a coffee. And ever since that first date, you really have been my best mate. <laughs> it's okay to laugh. I realise the, the cheesy rhymes. It's good. It's good. As I read it, I'm the same. Anyway, it, ke- it goes on. Mel, you are such a godly girl. I am constantly encouraged by your pursuit of Christ. You really are a pearl. <laughs> you live a salty life and are full of spice. I love the way you humbly serve and love others. You love those who even aren't your brothers. And it goes on. Um, as you can see, thank, yeah. thank you. Feel free if you want to, you know, read a little bit more. Come and chat to me later. Um, but clearly, it did, after I wrote this poem, I gave up writing poetry. Um, and now I just appreciate poetry. And there's something when you read good poetry that uh, is beautiful, isn't it? It really taps into our emotions and feelings. Uh, it paints vivid images that really can move you. And why do do people write poetry? It's because something has captured their heart. Someone or something has captured their heart. A poem expresses a deep delight and joy in someone or something. It captures the heartfelt love for someone or something. And so in the Bible, in the Psalms, we have these poems, Hebrew poems, uh, written for us to sing, and they show us the heart of the psalmist. They show us that his heart has been captured by a love of God. So let me ask you again. What is it that you delight in? What is it that's captured your heart? And a a follow-up question. uh, Could you uh, speak for half an hour about how much you love God's Word? Could you write a poem about your love of God's Word? Could you do that? Maybe you hear that idea and you think that's just ludicrous. You think, I couldn't do that. Well, the writer of Psalm 119 would say, look at my poem. Look at what has captured my heart. We started looking at this last week and we saw that it's an acrostic poem. Each stanza starts with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet and it's a poem written about the psalmist's love of God's word. It's his delight, it's his treasure, it's the thing he adores. Have a look at a bunch of these verses. So we read one just now. Verse 16 says, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect, neglect neglect your word. Or verse 20, he says, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Or a little bit later on, verse 103, he says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. You see, this whole psalm is a love song to God's word. It's the apple of the psalmist's eye. But maybe a question, even as you hear some of these verses, is how can he say he loves the law? When we hear the word law, we, we naturally think it's restrictive, it's a, it's a negative thing. 
It's what condemns us. It's kind of like a list of do's and don'ts. When we hear the word law, we think, you know, the psalmist is kind of like a kid in the schoolyard running up to the head teacher going, man, I just love this rule book. Isn't it the best? I think we'd go, that's he's a bit of a creep, wouldn't we? <laughs> but if that's, if that's what you're missing, you're missing uh, the point of the word law. For the psalmist, when he uses the word law, he's not thinking rules. He's thinking about a relationship. See, God's instructions and his teaching came out of a relationship of grace. Have a look at uh, Exodus 9. Uh, it'll come up on the screen. This is God speaking to his people. He says this, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you fully obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you'll be my treasured possession. Do you see what God's saying to his people here? He's saying, I have saved you. I brought you out of slavery in Egypt to myself, to be in relationship with me, to be my own treasured possession. God's saying, I took the initiative to bring you to myself, to bring you into my relationship. Now follow my teaching, follow my, everything I've spoken to you, and you'll be my God, and, you, and I'll be your God, and you'll be my people. See, the words in the law are actually words of life. They're words of hope. They're words that speak first of God's saving grace and rescue of his people. So the psalmist, when he says he loves the law, it's because he knows by it he can know God and he can follow God's ways. The image that comes to mind is kind of the two lovers. You know, they just hang off the words that the other person speaks. It's not out of a duty that they listen attentively and and care for that other person. It's out of deep delight and love for them. It's out of a relationship of love that they desire to do whatever the other person says. That's the image the psalmist paints for us in this psalm. He loves God's word because it comes from his gracious, loving, saving God. He delights in it because he knows by it he can know God and he can live for him. So a question I think we're going to ponder this morning is how do we come to love God's word like that? How can we come to hang off every word that God speaks? And the psalmist is going to say, it's by having the word dwelling in our hearts. This second stanza that we're going to dig into, uh, it neatly uh, breaks into two sections uh, and each kind of unpacks this idea. Verses 9 to 12, we see God's word in our hearts empowers us to live God's way. And then God's, uh, verse 13 to 16 shows God's word in our hearts actually becomes our joy and our delight. So let's dig into that, those first few verses, 9 to 12. Uh, The psalmist starts this section in verse 9 with a question, a valid question, a question I think many many of us ask. Do you see it there in verse 9? He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? The psalmist knows, as we saw last week, he sung that the way to life and blessing is following God's way. The way of, of following God's word is the way to a precious and rich relationship, but he knows how hard it is to go God's way with temptation all around, with the world going opposite direction. He says, how how can I keep going God's way? And he answers it there in the second half of verse 9. He says, by living according to your word. He he goes on in verses 10 to 11 to show this vivid picture, what it means to live with God's word. He says, you know, it's it's someone who sees the precious life and nature of the word and they have it, this person lives by it, they seek it, they store it in their heart. They know the word is what empowers them to keep following the word. How can you go God's way in the world? The psalmist says, 
It's by having your heart so captured by the word of God. I heard a story of a a Korean missionary whose practice it was to read 20 chapters of the Bible a day, and he read it aloud to himself. And he read it aloud, so it was kind of this multi-sensory experience. You know, the, the word would reach him through his eyes as he read it, through his mouth as he formed the words, and then he'd hear it in his ears. Every two months, this guy would read the whole Bible. Uh, and, And when asked about his practice, you know what he said? He said, it's such a delight. It's a blessing to have the word. And most days I find the word catches me. It takes hold of me. It ambushes me in my thoughts. It surprises me. And it refreshes me with joy and grace. That's a life that's captured by the word. That as he's going about his day, it just, you know, catches him in his thoughts. But I wonder, maybe as you hear that story, like myself, you're a bit daunted by that idea. Reading 20 chapters a day, maybe you struggle to read one verse a day. Well, the psalmist, he shares your lament. He, he knows that if it was up to sheer human effort, he'd fail. That's why he prays to God. Look at, at the second half of verse 10. He says... Do not let me stray from your commands, God. Or in verse 12, he says, teach me your statutes. The psalmist cries out to God to take his heart and change it. He longs to follow God's ways, and so he cries out to God to teach him. And this this idea of being taught by God, it's not an academic kind of teaching. He doesn't want God to just give him all the answers. He he, He doesn't want information. He wants transformation. He wants God to so transform his heart so that he would not stumble, that he would never depart from God's ways. This plea uh, to teach is is a really common plea throughout the psalm. Uh, In verse 124, he says this. He says, Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your decrees. See, the psalmist knows the word in the heart will empower him to keep going God's way. But he knows, he knows he's prone to wander. So he asks God to teach him. He asks God to act. And so I wonder, is this, is this a common plea of yours? Do you cry out to God to teach you? To so transform your heart that you won't wander from it? Because if this is your plea, the psalmist uh, says in the second section that uh, when the word takes a hold of our heart, it doesn't just empower us and teach us to go God's way. It actually becomes our joy and our delight. Read with me verse 13 and 14 again. Uh, he says this, With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. There's a beautiful movement in this psalm as the, you know, the, the psalmist hears the word. He receives it in his heart and then it overflows from his lips. But it doesn't even just spill over from his lips. The word actually shapes his mind. You see that in verse 15. He says, I meditate on your precepts and I'll consider your ways. And to to meditate, he has, has kind of the idea of musing or mulling over the word, usually by speaking it aloud to oneself. And as the psalmist mulls over this word, he, he, it becomes his joy, it becomes his delight. He says, you know, in verse 16, I will not neglect your word. The picture of the psalmist delighting in the word here makes me think of a dam. You know, when the water is filling up, filling up, and it gets to that breaking point where the pressure is too much and it just overflows. That's kind of like the psalmist here. He's, you know, uh, mulling, musing over the word to himself, mining it for treasure, seeing who God is, seeing how he's loved him, how he's acted. 
And then it reaches this point where he just can't help himself but declare, man, your word is my delight, God. It is my treasure. It's the thing I adore. I wonder, though, you know, this, this idea of delighting in the word. Can we, you know, how, how can we have this same delight? How can we get to this point where we sing this like the psalmist? Is it even all possible? How can we get the word in our heart so it's our delight? Well, it's not by sheer willpower. It's not by us, you know, just trying harder. Otherwise, it'll just happen out of duty. It won't be our delight. It's actually by God taking the initiative. It's only by his grace shown towards us. Have a read with me of uh, Jeremiah 31. It'll appear up on the screen. Verse 33. And the context of this passage is that God's people had been, hadn't been following his word. They'd been going their own way. And God makes this incredible promise. He says, This is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put the law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I'll be their God and they will be my people. This is an amazing passage because it's, it's declaring that God is going to do what the psalmist longed for. He's going to put the law on their hearts. He's going to put it on his people's hearts. See, God is going to establish a new covenant with his people, a, a covenant that couldn't be broken, a covenant that would be established by the blood of Jesus. Jesus was the one whose delight it was to follow God's word. He treasured it up in his heart. He didn't wander from it. And by Jesus' blood spilt on the cross, he's opened the way for God's spirit to come into our lives, to, to give us a new heart, to awaken our heart, to, to want to follow God's ways. A heart that delights in his word, a heart that actually has the word written on it. So if you trust Jesus here this morning, if you trust in his blood spilt for you, the reality of this new heart indwelt with the spirit of God is something worth thanking God for. It's a real reality now. You have the word written on your heart by the Spirit of God. It's what the psalmist longed for. It's what he cried out for. It's what Jeremiah promised. And it's what through Jesus we have. So let's return to that question before. How can we get to the place where we delight in the word? Well, I think first and most important is to realize that God's word to us in the Bible is saturated in grace. God's word is not a list of do's and don'ts. God is a God who wants to be in relationship with us. And throughout the whole story of the Bible, he's been working to make that happen. He's the one who's been taking the initiative over and over again. He's been devoted to his plan of grace from the very beginning. And the more that we grasp his word as a word of grace, the more we'll delight in it. You see, God isn't a tyrant. He's not distant. He's come near and he's been tirelessly at work to bring us into relationship with him. So like any relationship, how does it become our joy and our delight? Well, it's taking time and investing in it. I remember speaking to someone wise uh, just before I became a parent and they said, Paul, the best thing you can do for your kids growing up is to be present. They said your kids will spell love, T-I-M-E. And I think God as our Heavenly Father, wants us to think about, this, about spending time with him the same way. He wants us to spend time in his word, hearing him speak to us, delighting in his voice like a child with their dad. I wonder what, what things in your week uh, do you make time for? 
I think it's often, you know, it's the things we love, isn't it? The things we, you know, we just take great joy and delight in. For me, as most of you are aware, it's running. I, you know, it doesn't matter how busy my days are, how my schedule is, I'll always carve out time to fit in a run. You know why it is? It's not a chore, it's not a duty to fit in a run, it's because I love it. But I wonder, do we think about spending time with God the same way? Do we delight in the relationship we have with him and what he's done to make that happen? Or is it more of a duty to, you know, just spend time with God? Do we just squeeze it in around the edges when we can? Maybe a helpful question for you to reflect on is how much time do I spend with God in his word each week? Whatever, whatever your answer is, let me encourage you to aspire to do more. You know, if, you, if you're not reading the Bible at all now, we'll start by opening it up. Maybe this afternoon, just open it up and have a read. If you're in a good groove, you've got a good pattern going, well, maybe take some extra time to slow down. Meditate on a verse. Maybe memorize a verse. The principal at my Bible college, he would often say, um, do you waste time with God? He said it because he, he knew that uh, time spent with God was never a waste. But he also knew if God had captured our heart, we'd delight to spend time with him. Hours and hours would go by. We wouldn't be watching the clock thinking, man, I've got to get on to that next thing. I think time spent with God is a good gauge on whether his word is our delight. Maybe you're here this morning, though, and you know, you're just a bit daunted by the Bible. Maybe there's parts of the Bible that you find hard, that confuse you, and so you just, you just don't go there. Well, let me recommend two books which could help you with that. The first one is one I've been reading as I've been reading Psalm 119. It's called Bible Delight. Uh, it's a book that's meant to be read along Psalm 119. And I reckon spending more time in Psalm 119 has enriched my delight in God's Word. The second book I'd recommend is called um, God's Big Picture. Here it is. It's a, um, a book that's really helpful in showing us how each part of the Bible fits together with God's plan. So if there's parts of the Bible that confuse you or you find hard, that book it will be a real great asset in helping you see how uh, each part of the Bible relates to each other and how it can become a delight. I, I bought a whole bunch of these books, so if those things are going to be helpful for you in delighting in the Word more, write it on your comment card. I'd love to put one in your hands. But maybe there's others of you here this morning, and the idea of reading the Bible and it becoming a delight is just ludicrous. It's just strange and weird. Well, let me point you to the words of one of Jesus' closest friends. When Jesus asked him, he said, are you going to leave me? Are you going to follow another way? He said this. He said, where else have we to go? For you have the words of eternal life. See, the words we have in the Bible are words to relationship with God. They are words of eternal life. They are words worth looking into. So if you're interested in looking into them, maybe for the first time, you know, maybe talk to the person you came with, write it on your comment card. There's nothing more I'd rather do than to make time and sit down with you and look into these words, these words of life, words that you can delight in. As you know, I was writing this, I'd been reflecting on my own Bible reading habits, and I came across an article that really challenged me. The, the article was called The Scrolling Soul. And the main point of the article was how we can waste so much time scrolling on our devices or on the internet that we actually end up, uh, we, don't, we lack delight in anything. One, one quote stood out to me. It says this. It says, Scrolling shrivels your soul as it pulls in a thousand different directions. 
It distracts you from the greatest object your soul could ever love and the most glorious truths your eyes and ears could ever behold. Don't let your soul get sucked into the vanity of aimless scrolling wasteland where paths lead everywhere, but never to a place of rest, joy, and delight. I find this quote really challenging. And the reason I find it challenging is because I think about my own scrolling habits and I realize it's so true. I wonder, how do you feel uh, when you've been scrolling social media or the internet? Do you come away thinking, man, that was a, a good uh, time spent well? Do you, do you come away thinking that? It's definitely not my experience. I don't come away full. I often come away longing for something that I don't have. I come away thinking about the newest trend that I need. I, I come away frustrated at the state of the world. And ultimately, I come away thinking, I've just wasted my time. On the flip side, I wonder, how do you feel when you've left time in God's word? Do you come away thinking, that was a waste of my time? Or do you come away delighting in his love and his grace towards you and the relationship that you can have with the creator of the world? See, the psalmist wants us to remember the way to deep joy and delight is only found in meditating and storing God's word in our heart. It's found in spending time with God. So let me finish with a story about a man named David Satcham who did just that. David uh, was a South African man and when he became a Christian, he was just blown away by God's love. He, he, he just couldn't stop reading the Bible. You know, day after day, week after week, he would devour it. He would just read and read and read. He was so hungry. But then one day David stopped. He realized, I, I want to be a Christian for a long time. I better, you know, save some of the Bible for later. I better stop reading it. I won't have anything to read. But then one day, a, a wise Christian man came to him and said, David, you know, the Bible's not like that. The Bible is not like any other book. The more you read the Bible, the more you know God. And the more you know God, it reveals how much you're, you actually deeply need him. And the more you come to know that, the more you come to delight in his grace-given word to you. Forty years later, David Satcham is a Bible college lecturer in South Africa, and he hasn't got tired of God's word yet. And that's my prayer for us. Over the next week, over the next year, over the next 40 years, that we would come to delight in God's word more and more. So would you pray that would be the case? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that by it we can know you and follow your ways. Thank you that by Jesus and the gift of your spirit, we can have a new heart that is alive, that is awakened to, to delight in your word and follow it. Help us remember that you are a God of grace and that you have brought us into a relationship with you. Change our hearts and our minds to delight in your word more, to just want to waste time with you, to desire to walk closely with you each day. May we truly declare, as the psalmist does in verse 97, Oh, how I love your teaching. I meditate on it all day long. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.